God knows what we need, doesn't He? Well, it might be strange to you that we're remembering the the blood of the new covenant, but I want to I want to go to the old covenant. Let's go to Micah. I'm going to read a few verses here at the end of Micah. Remembering our God. That's what I want us to think about this for a few moments before we give ourselves to partaking of the elements tonight. So Micah chapter 7. And beginning at verse 14, let's read to the end of the chapter. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your heritage, who dwell solitarily in a woodland, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them wonders. So there's this picture of a restoration that is being prophesied by Micah. And he's saying it's going to be something like that deliverance from Egypt. It's in the specific context referring to the deliverance from the captivity, probably the Babylonian captivity that was yet to come. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. But let me just insert this idea that I think he's thinking even beyond it. I don't know what Micah was thinking, but I see the prophecy fulfilled even beyond, in fact, in this age in which we live. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth, reminiscent of words you read in Revelation chapter 6, they shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you, because of God. I believe this is in reference to unbelieving nations. And then he says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. And passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. And will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. If you, like me, read through Micah and read all that there is in Micah, uh, as in many of the minor as well as the major prophets, there are some very disturbing and troubling things that are that are said and then you come to the end of the prophecy like we have come and it's 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 refreshing it is refreshing micah prophesied under the reign of jotham ahaz and hezekiah 
It was before the captivity of Samaria and Jerusalem. It was probably in the mid-700s B.C. The northern kingdom represented by Samaria was taken into captivity. At least it began in 722 B.C. And then the and then Jerusalem or the southern kingdom was taken into captivity. Well, at least the major uh, thrust was about 586 B.C. And Micah's message was to both kingdoms, the north and the south. His message was one of impending judgment of Jehovah due to the entrenched expression of sin, especially under Ahaz. And you can go back to, uh, not now, but you can read in Second Kings chapter 16 and Second Chronicles chapter 28, the horrific sins that Ahaz led the nation to. Sins of idolatry, blatant, open idolatry. And, and Micah... Uh, addresses that in chapter one and in chapter five and sins of covetousness that uh, that he addresses in chapter two and sins of injustices that he addresses in chapter three and chapter six. And then he calls out the lying prophets that existed. It seems like every true prophet called out the lying prophets who preached a false peace, in fact, denied the message of judgment that these prophets were Proclaiming. But Micah also preached words of prophetic hope, as did the other prophets as well. That Jehovah would, in fact, recover his people, referred to as a remnant. In fact, we just read that the remnant of his heritage. Look in chapter two and verse twelve. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. Now, all of Israel was hearing this message. Some were really hearing this message. I will put them together like the sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many People, a message of hope in chapter four. In fact, all of chapter four really is a message of hope. But in, look at verses six and seven. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcasts and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. Chapter five, beginning at verse two. But you. Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And so as they were listening to this message, I don't know what all was going through their minds. Of course, we go back and read these verses and we know ultimately it's fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. I think speaking of Israel in particular, of course, Mary giving birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be Peace, we could read other portions, but then that brings us to the final portion of Micah's message that we're, we're going to look at 
for just a few moments, verses 18 through 20, which is the focus of the message this afternoon. One thing that stood out to me, not only here, but in the other prophets, is that God warns before judgment comes. This is his, this is his way. He doesn't just dump the judgment. He warns. And those who heed his warning and turn to him in repentance find out the kind of God that he is. I said to you that there were there were those who were hearing the message of Michael, a message of judgment. But also hearing these words of hope, and there were those that responded to that message of judgment. We know this because Jeremiah actually quotes Micah 3 and verse 12. Jeremiah prophesied about a hundred years after Micah. And in Jeremiah 26 and verse 18, he says, it wasn't he, Jeremiah's writing this, but it was, it, this is what was being said by those who were attacking Jeremiah. There were some leaders in Israel, Judah, who said, Micah of Morisha prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed. These are the, you can read it in Micah 3 and verse 12. This is what Micah said, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Now that eventually did happen. But it didn't happen, it seems, as soon as it might have happened. The very next verse, Jeremiah 26, 19, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Is that how they responded to Micah's message? Did he, Hezekiah, not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord repented concerning the doom which he had promised against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves in not listening to the message of Jeremiah, is what was being said in that context in Jeremiah. And so the point is that there was a message of judgment that was being preached, a message of judgment that was heard, and there was a response to that message. There was an effect of it. And I just would suggest this to us, though this isn't the primary thought here, but preachers must proclaim God's message of judgment, and the Spirit of God uses that. He used it then. He uses such preaching to turn hearts and those burdened hearts that turn in repentance they and faith, they find, they see the goodness of God. They see the mercy of God. His judgment does not fall upon them. That's true for you and me today as well. He is a God that is incomparably holy. And cannot look favorably upon sin. And he is a God of incomparable love. Expressed in mercy and compassion. As our passage says here, to the remnant of his heritage. Now, who is this remnant? Well, verse 20, I think, gives insight. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. And what did he swear 
to their fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He said, among other things, in your seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. That was the promise. And so as I read this, I conclude that ultimately what is being said in this passage is toward Jew and Gentile believers. At this time, it would have been toward those Jews, the remnant from among the nation. A remnant shall be saved, as Paul says. And they find the mercy to Abraham. They receive the truth to Jacob. They live in that. This is the faithfulness of God to His promise. The faithfulness of God to His oath. So that, Paul writes in Galatians 3, you know these verses, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to His promise. So Micah concludes his prophetic message here marveling at God. And that's what I, that's what I want us to do. Who is a God like you, he says? In light of Israel's sins, this God does what no heathen God would or could. There is no God like him. Let me just Briefly touch upon a few thoughts here that I hope will help you in thinking, remembering our God today. He is not a God, first of all, that is oblivious to iniquity, to transgressions, and to sins. And by the way, the word transgressions there in verse 18 could also be translated rebellion. And that certainly was typical of the nation of Israel. And he is angry. God is angry at iniquity and rebellion. He hates sin. He does not simply look the other way. He cannot acquit the wicked, as he says. The prophecy of judgment in Micah and other prophets make this very clear. But, aren't you thankful for but? His anger is not steadfast anger against his remnant. We have that translation, steadfast love, for this word mercy in verse 18. He does not have steadfast anger, loyal anger, faithful anger. Toward his remnant. It's, it's, it's measured. It doesn't last. In fact, he does not retain his anger forever. Isaiah quotes Jehovah in Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. But with great mercies or compassion, I will gather you for a, with a Little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness. That's the translation of the word mercies. Mercy in our text here in verse 18. That kesed. That loyal, faithful, committed covenant love. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy, compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Who is a God 
like you. He is a God who pardons iniquity. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage. Now what God did for the saints in the Old Testament was done in anticipation of sending His only begotten Son into the world. He could not simply turn a blind eye to their sins. And He didn't. Being a just God, He must punish the guilty sinner. How did He do that for the remnant of His heritage? Well, Paul helps us out in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. Whom God set forth, speaking of His Son, set forth as a propitiation, satisfying divine justice in regard to our sin. He set forth Him as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over, Micah says, passing over the transgression. The old King James uses the word remission of sins. That word remission is can be translated passed over. It is in the New King James. Passed over, passed by. The sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus' accomplishment was the fulfillment of what God promised in eternity. And what is said here in Micah is this everlasting God who had entered into this everlasting covenant and that the blood of that everlasting covenant was ultimately spilt, was shed. And on the basis of that, he can say, he pardons, he passes over sin and trans. Because God is who He is, He did what was necessary to bear the awful guilt and take away our sins. And this is what we remember today. But notice in verse 19, He says, And will subdue our iniquities. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He doesn't only pardon. He doesn't only pass over. He subdues. He's a God who in grace reigns over our sin so that it no longer has dominion over us. His compassion does not permit sin to dominate in life or death as it once did. God is dealing with that which was the problem that separated us from Him. It doesn't Rule us. It does not have the last word in our lives. This is the power of God's compassion. He's not a distant God. This isn't just some sort of legal transaction that takes place. He's actually dwelling with us by His Spirit, not to crush us, 
but to lead us in the way that we should go. To subdue our iniquities. Who is a God like you? He's a God who does all of this. Why? Why? Why does he do it? What does Micah say? Verse 18. Why does he do it? He what? He delights in mercy, in loving kindness, in that steadfast love. He delights in demonstrating this. He delights in it. His very nature. And then, he's, and then His compassion in verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. This is what is moving Him. His very nature moves Him. His very nature moves Him to pardon, pass over, and subdue sin. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He doesn't leave, he doesn't leave our sin against us, but He doesn't leave us to ourselves. His very nature moved Him to give His only begotten Son. His very nature moved the Son to willingly offer up Himself. His very nature moved the Spirit to lovingly abide with us, you see. Remember, it was when we were without strength and sinners that Christ died. It wasn't us that moved Him. It was He who moved Himself, you see. His very nature. And He didn't leave us to the temporal or eternal consequences of our sin. Why? Why? You need to remember this. Why? It's because He delights in mercy. This is not His begrudging choice. It's His pleasure. It's what brings Him delight. And if your thoughts of God are such that you struggle to receive the expression that God gives to us here about Himself, then something needs to be altered in the way that you view God. In fact, we can say with Micah, even when making his judgments known, and that's exactly what he's doing, when I stand to, as a preacher, whether here or anywhere, any other context, and when I make the judgments of God known, I can also say to those to who I am speaking, God delights in mercy. Aaron, you can say that. You don't have to shrink from that. You don't have to apologize for that. You don't even have to qualify that. God's glory shines in His demonstration of mercy to helpless sinners like you and me. He is moved by His own glory to deal with our sins according to His mercy and compassion. He has tender affection toward us. Affection that is not mere sentimental feeling, but deep delight in pouring His pardoning, redeeming, faithful, loyal, steadfast love upon us. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? I need to hear this. 
I need my soul to connect with this reality. You need your soul to connect with this reality. We actually need the aid of God himself to help us. You don't have to wonder if God really will pardon you. You don't have to wonder if God really wants to pardon you. Someone said to me, asked me the question. And I don't know if the person is here that asked the question. What if I pray and ask God to save me and he doesn't? Well, my response to that person, and I haven't furthered the conversation, but my response to that person was, I would ask the person, why did you pray? Did you pray to this God? You see, this God delights in mercy. He's not reluctant. Don't think of Him as resistant. Don't think of Him as more ready to retain anger than to show mercy. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you thankful? Nor punished us according to our iniquities. He's pardoned. He's passed over. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Beloved, we are showing today in in this ordinance the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are showing the manifestation of Of God's great love. And if you have not yet repented and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're here with us and just observing, hear the heart of God. May the Spirit of God open your heart's eyes. You would have eyes of faith to see. And not to... Go after it. Try to work after it. But to receive it, you see. To receive this pardon. Verse 19. Micah gets personal. He's been saying, he's like this and he's like that and he does this. Then in verse 19 he says, You, you, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Can you say that? Do you refer to God as some, He's an entity out here? Or can you personally speak to Him even today? Say you. You are a pardoning God. You have passed over my iniquities. You cast all my sins into the depths of the sea. Think about this as you partake tonight. And speak those words with rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, 
God is holding nothing against you. Even when He chastens you sorely, and sometimes He does. But it's, it's, father, it's a fatherly love. It's a loving expression of, of anger. But it's not unending wrath. You were, Paul says, you were the children of wrath. Remember that? You were. Even as others, but he, he who is rich in mercy. With his great love, wherewith he has loved you. Has cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Never to be held against you again. Never. Never. He didn't cast them into the depths of the sea. You say, well, he's a deep diver, so he could go get them again. That's, that's obviously not the point. They're gone. Someone has written a little song that says the sea of his forgetfulness. Only this God, our God, can and, and will deal with repentant, believing sinners in this way. So let us marvel at our God as we remember the death of our living Lord Jesus. Our living Lord Jesus. We're pardoned tonight. We're pardoned. When that thought of something that grieves your soul about yourself comes to your mind, remember you're pardoned. He's passed over our sins. He's subduing our iniquities. He casts our sins into the depths of the sea. All because of Himself. Because He delights in mercy. There is no God like our God. You are not drinking a cup of wrath. He drank that. You are drinking a cup of mercy. You're drinking a cup of pardon. This is the God we remember as we partake of the elements together today.